And it's from Acts chapter 25, verses 23 uh, through the end of chapter 26. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officials, officers, and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. Those who are present, you see this man. The whole Jewish community had petitioned me about him in the, in the Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found that he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusation of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I confronted to the strictest that I conform to the strictest sect of our, of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King, King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced and that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is why I did, and that is why what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blasphemy. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light coming from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing all around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to, the, to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why, are you, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I said, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what uh, you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people um, and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn, and turn them from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day so that I stand here and testify that to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would said, said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. 
At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted, and your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I, cannot, and I can speak freely of them. I am convicted that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, short time or long, I pray to God that not only that you, not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and all those who were sitting with him. After they left the room and began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The word of the Lord. Ben's listening. Ben is calling in from his phone, from the, uh, where he is, uh, getting some healing. And so I thought maybe we could all say hi to Ben. So maybe on the count of three, we can all say hi, Ben. All right. One, two, three. Hi, hi Ben. He said hi, I'm back. All right, well, good to hear you, Ben. Good to hear your voice. We hope to see you in person soon. And uh, maybe we'll... I'm doing the sermon now, Ben. So, all right. Okay, yeah, it was music first, and then the message. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, thank you for Ben. Thank you for technology. Thank you for everyone that's gathered here that we can gather online and in person and just hear from you. Thank you for uh, Paul's testimony that Lucas just read to us. Certainly a uh, really in-depth and interesting uh, moment in Paul's life uh, that he stood before kings to talk about you. We pray that we would just hear from you today through your word. We love you, Lord. Amen. So you might be wondering, like, what is this? Like, why is this on the stage? Uh, I, I went through a phase. You guys go through phases. Uh, Monica and I went through a phase where we were really into prepping. You're familiar with preppers? And I know I've used this as an illustration before, but I just think it's such a fun illustration, right? So this is a kit I think we got on Amazon. Way overpriced, but it's kind of like the food that will never spoil. And so if something happens, like, we'll be okay, because uh, we'll be able to eat beef stroganoff with noodles uh, for a while, as well as some lasagna with meat sauce and beef stew, granola with milk and blueberries. I'm excited for that one, especially when the world ends. You guys will be, like, scattering, and I'll be eating my beef stew. Uh, but we went through this phase where we were watching the show, I think it was on TLC, where it was just about prepping, right, prepping for the end of the world. And an episode would normally go like this. They would feature an individual or a family. So let's say like, they, f they feature Katie. Katie from Salt Lake City, right? And Katie's been prepping for the big Salt Lake City volcano explosion because she's worried it's going to come any day, right? And so they would, they would bring a camera crew in. They'd highlight like, her apartment with like, cans of, stacks of cans and like, dried food. And she'd have like, her backpack, called a bug out bag, ready to go at work. Right? So she'd be ready at a moment's notice if the big Salt Lake City volcano was about to explode. And usually, then they put them through a scenario. And they're like, OK, Katie, the volcano is about to explode in 90 minutes. You have, you, you're sent word, like 90 minutes, it's going to explode. What do you do? 
So you know, usually you'd see them like put on their backpack and like go trudging through Salt Lake City into the mountains and something silly like that. And then they rate them at the end, right? Like Katie, we, we appreciated your bug out bag. You were all prepared, but you should have taken less like paper towels or Katie, like you should have just driven to grandma's house. Like just don't, <laughs> don't hike through the middle of Salt Lake City. We really enjoyed it. We really thought it was funny. And so, how does that connect to Peter? How does that connect to the Bible? This, this idea of preparedness, right? Always be prepared. As Christians, we don't have to worry about the big Salt Lake City you know, volcano. We are called to be prepared for another reason. And we actually find that reason in the book of 1 Peter. Peter says this. He says, but in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? So the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, writing to early believers, early churches, said, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. So what sort of hope do we have? Well, as Christians, right, we have our ultimate hope placed in a person, in Jesus, right, who lived a perfect life, died an innocent death, and then rose again. And then his life become, comes along and begins to transform our lives, right, gives us new life, gives us eternal life, but then also changes how we live our lives today. And if that transformation is real, and if that transformation is genuine, Lord willing, hopefully, there will be something different about our lives, right? There will be an expression of hope. This doesn't mean that like, we're always going to be the happiest people you know, or the most joyful, but there should be some hope that permeates us as believers because if Christ died and rose again, what else do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. And so we should be put in situations where we get to share our hope, right? Get to share our hope in Christ. And notice Peter doesn't say like, Give 20 reasons why we can trust the New Testament. Or, you know, argue apologetics for Jesus because lots of people get argued into the kingdom of God. <laughs> I think he's instead sort of saying that, like, we are the apologetic, right? Be the apologetic. Be the, the, the expression that people see full of hope and add words to that expression, right? Share that expression. That is the apologetic. Apologetics is like this fancy word of saying reasons to believe in God, right? Like scientific or, and there's a place for that, so I'm not throwing that under the bus. But I'm just saying like we're called to be prepared to share. Okay, now let's go to our passage, right? We just read the story of Paul standing before Agrippa and Bernice. Those are the sort of the Jewish rulers in the north near Galilee, and ultimately standing before Festus, who was the ruler in sort of Caesarea, the Gentile region, the, the Jerusalem region. And he gives testimony. He gives the hope that he has. He, he shares it with them because, well, Festus asks. He says, you have permission to speak for yourself. And Paul's like, all right, let's do this. And he doesn't give like a defense that maybe we would normally give. And he, he did that a little bit earlier in a different passage. He just shares about his life and how his life has been transformed by Christ. And if we were to outline like sort of Paul's flow, I think it would go kind of like this. Paul's outline, my life before Jesus, how I met Jesus, 
how Jesus met me, and then how Jesus has changed me. So I want to focus on that, like my life before Jesus. We see that in verses 4 through 11. I encourage you to go back through and kind of map this out for yourself. But Paul talks about his life. Paul just talks about, like, I was super religious. (laughs) I was the strictest of Pharisees, right? Pharisees were those that really, they believed the entire Hebrew scriptures, like the law, the prophets, what we would call the Old Testament. They believed in the resurrection, that God raised the dead. And Paul identifies his beliefs with the beliefs of his forefathers, with the beliefs of the Hebrew patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pretty much making a defense that, like, I'm on trial for being like you guys and believing the same things that you believe. Maybe not Festus, but maybe actually Agrippa and his, uh, you know, sister, Bernice, right? Maybe he's on trial for something that they actually sort of agree with. Right? His life before Jesus, right? He was, he was dedicated. He was zealous. Paul doesn't just highlight the good parts, though. Paul also is open about his mistakes, his bad parts, right? Like, I was persecuting the Christians. I was throwing them into jail. I was hunting believers down. I was killing them. It was actually while I was on the road to Damascus, a city where there was believers that I was going to hunt down and get, that I encountered Christ. So when we share our testimonies, I I think for some of us, we should really take the time to like highlight what was my life like before Christ, to think back. You know, and, and certainly when I was growing up, I remember like the coolest testimonies in like youth group were those that were like, I did drugs. Or, you know, I drank a lot of alcohol, right? And I was like on the streets and then Jesus brought me and transformed me. And those are amazing testimonies, right? Those are amazing stories of what God has done to completely transform someone's life. But most of us aren't gonna have that as our testimony, right? So there might be a season like, so like I became a believer when I was four years old. That's when I quote unquote like said the sinner's prayer. As far as I'm aware, I was not on in the streets or doing drugs and alcohol. Um, I don't remember that period, so. uh, Right? But there was this season of coming, I think, to kind of getting real about my faith when I was a little bit older, right? I went through a season of rebellion and then came to Christ. And so when I share my testimony, I usually sort of highlight that, that like God got a hold of me when I was little, but then sort of continued to work out my story as I grew older. Right, so there's a, there's a number of ways, but this is like a, a nice starting point, right? My life before Christ. And then we transition to how I met Christ. And if you go to our Cornerstone website, uh, under resources, under faith stories, there's a whole bunch of different faith stories, a whole bunch of different formats. And so you can check those out. But then it goes to like how I met Christ or how Christ met me. And I want to read just this part of Paul's story. It says this. On one of these journeys, so these persecution journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, a.k.a. the people that want me dead that I'm on trial for right here. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, that was his name before Paul. I think it's just another form of Paul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who are you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Right, so can you just imagine that moment, right, riding along, fully 100% convinced that you are obedient to God, that you are doing things God's way, and then God shows up, Jesus shows up, the one that you are persecuting shows up in a blinding light and just completely transforms your life. It says, you've been persecuting me. Man, like there's a popular word right now, deconstructing, right? Like Paul was the first person to have his faith deconstructed. It was completely uh, unwound, completely unraveled before God, before Christ. And I think if I were a, if I were a betting man, I will be able to ask Paul one day, but I bet you when he was, like, it says he was kicking against the goads, right? So that's like a, a long pointy stick that shepherds would use to poke their animals. Not like a nice friendly Facebook poke, which I don't think we do anymore. But uh, like a, a big stick that would be very uncomfortable, right? And so clearly something was working on Paul's heart. Something was happening inside of him. And if I were a betting man, I would say that when he was rounding up those Christians, When he was rounding up those believers, he probably had conversations with them, arguments with them, and they were sharing the hope that they had from the scriptures. They were giving their testimonies. They were talking about how Jesus was the the centerpiece and the climax of the story. God was doing something in Paul, like bringing up doubts in him of like, maybe, but he kept ignoring it, right? Like he kept sort of pushing that aside. No, I have this figured out, I'm okay, I'm good. I don't need that. I don't know where you are, but if that's your story, if God is poking you, maybe don't ignore that. Do you want the blinding light situation? Well, you might get it. (laughs) Paul was certainly a special case. But just be open to like, man, if if God is trying to like poke me in some way, like, am I listening to that? Am I am I open to the, the prodding of the Holy Spirit? Because it leads us to grace. Shepherds don't just like poke their animals for fun unless they're a really bad shepherd. They want to lead them to greener pastures. They want to lead them to life and, and goodness. That's what God does with us. And so finally in our We talk about my life before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and then how Jesus has changed me. And the surprising thing about Paul is that Jesus immediately commissions him to share the light of Christ, not just with his Jewish brethren, but with the Gentiles too. Like, can you imagine the deconstruction that he went through, right? Like, I'm persecuting those Christians because they're the false religion. Oh, actually, I'm persecuting Jews. God, and I'm supposed to share this message not just with my Jewish brethren, but also with the non-Jewish people, crossing cultural barriers. How challenging that would have been, but then also how like freeing that would have been. Wow, this gospel message is way bigger and more powerful than I could have ever imagined. We see this in Matthew 25, 16 through 18. This is, this is God, uh, Jesus speaking to Paul. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appointed, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. 
I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is a life-transforming global movement that is about to take place. And it's very meta because in the gospel, well, in the book of Acts, right, written by the gospel author Luke, it's like it's happening, right? The gospel is being taken to the Gentiles. It's being preached to Festus. It's being preached to Agrippa and Bernice, right? It's being preached to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul wants them to be set free. There's a moment of irony, right, that he here is bound before them, and yet he is actually freer than they are, right? They are in a position of power and authority. They have, they have the power of life and death over him, and yet he has been set free from the bondage of sin. And so one of the reasons, perhaps the reason, we share our stories and today in our small group discussions, we're going to have an opportunity to actually practice this. We're going to do a little bit different from outward, inward, upward. We're going to talk first about my life before Jesus. It's like a little training ground, a little practice. How I met Jesus and how Jesus has changed me. And you certainly can be quiet. No one has to speak. And then the group leaders get to speak the whole time. But I want to challenge you. Like This is a safe space or a place where we can try things. You can share a little bit. Right? And the reason that you share your testimony, the reason you share your faith story, the reason you sort of maybe for some of you become uncomfortable and a little awkward is so that others can be set free, so that others can be released, so that they can know the same hope that you and I know through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, for this opportunity to discuss, to share. I ask that you would put us in the exact right groups where you want us. This is always exciting to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Help us to hear the stories. Help us to listen well, to, 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 to share, and to receive. In Jesus' name, amen.